Welcome to our final session of the hope that Jesus gives. We are covering tonight the idea of fields of hope. When it comes to hope, what do we invest in? Where do we put the seeds of hope that will blossom into reality? I would like to um, begin by quoting from 1 Corinthians 13 from the Phillips translation. And it reads this way, as you see in your notes, In this life we have three great lasting qualities. We call them the three eternals. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of them is love. Father, we come to you tonight as we bring this series to a conclusion. We want to do three things. Number one, we want to thank you for the testimonies of victory that we've had in the first six lessons. We also want to thank you for the help that will come out of this as we continue to walk it out. Um, we pray that the reality of your presence would spring up in our hearts afresh and anew uh, this evening as we talk about hope. And we pray a blessing on Pastor Corey and the next set of lessons he's going to bring uh, beginning next week. We realize, Lord, that unless you anoint the word, it will just be, uh, as Paul said, a, a clanging gong or a tinkling symbol that has no substantive uh, uh, results. But if the Holy Spirit touches the word, which is already alive, we know that it can minister life to us in whatever our battles are. Father, I pray for a revival of hope. I pray that we would become a house of hope as well as faith and love. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as we wrap this up tonight, I want to remind you, if you are new to the series or haven't been with us each week, um, let me give you just a 60-second or so recap. Um, first of all, um, I, I want to say that uh, we began the series in Lesson 1, and all of this you can uh, watch online, with um, uh, an in-depth explanation of faith, hope, and love what they are, how they're alike, how they're different, and how they work together. So that was lesson number one. And then in lesson number two, we, we shifted our focus from the three eternals to that word hope. And we talked about how hope keeps us going between the promise that God gives and the fulfillment of the promise. Most of us realize when God gives us a promise, and most of us celebrate when he brings fulfillment, but that path between promise and fulfillment can sometimes seem like a walk through the desert. So we talked about how hope keeps us going between the promise and the fulfillment. We got more specific in lesson number three as we talked about hope for our families, and we, we made the application of how the Lord helps us um, uh, hold steady and hold on to hope, especially in regard to our families. We talked about the precious promises and took some living examples from the book of Acts. In the fourth lesson, we went to the life of David and we talked about that tragic event when his family and the families of all his mighty men were kidnapped and taken away to only God knows what. 
It was the story of Ziklag and uh, David's own men turned against him. And the Bible makes a statement that is loaded. It says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. We don't know what that means, but uh, in David's case in particular, but we did talk about some principles of how hope operates when it seems your world has fallen apart. Um, lesson number five was how to keep hope nourished. We talked about the power of remembering the word of God and not just remembering, but the power to understand the word of God and then to exercise, keep our spiritual muscle tone up to always lean into the Lord. And um, um, we, we, we talked about how we keep hope alive um, how we nourish it. And then lesson number six, what we talked about last week is why prayer makes a difference. We talked about four reasons that we ought to pray and four reasons that prayer enhances hope. So tonight we want to conclude our lesson with, a, with the topic fields of hope, fields as in a, a plowed field, a farmland. In other words, we wanted to talk about these fields, we wanted to talk about four areas that we sow into. This is where we put our hope and pray that the seed will, will spring forth. I think there are at least four very fertile fields uh, into which we sow. Um, and I do want to just encourage you in this respect. There was a time when Jesus talked about the sower and the seed and Jesus talks about the field. You know, um, he said in one por portion of scripture, uh, either Jesus or the apostles said that we are God's building. We are God's body. Uh, we are, we are uh, God's family. But he also said something that uh, I want us to focus on for just a minute tonight. He also said we were God's field. Specifically, we were God's plowed field. There was a time when Christians read these passages about the field, when they read Jeremiah saying, it's time to break up your fallow ground. They understood it because in most cultures until fairly recent history, until mo in, in most cultures, it is said that up to 90% of the, of the population had to be involved in growing the food to some degree in order to feed a nation. There, was, there were some specialists and there were some leaders that did not have to get their hands dirty, so to speak. But up to 90% of the people understood the concept of a, of a plowed field and the value of seed. Now that number hovers at about 5%. Uh, when they read this in the New Testament, about 90% of the people on some level or another understood very well the way a seed operated and the way the field and the principle of sowing and planting and waiting, the former and the latter rain. 90%, that was their world. But today, it's 95% of us that that's not our world. Uh, children, children would think, uh, that meat just magically appears in styrofoam containers in the grocery store. And uh, it's an eye-opener when a child finds out where our food comes from and how it is prepared. 
But with this advancement that we've had in society, we have lost, I think, because we're separated from the field, I think we've lost our patience with uh, process. Uh, I can now go get something that's prepackaged, prepared, already clean. I pop it in the microwave and I can have a meal in 90 seconds or less. But the ancients understood the idea of process and they knew that they needed to have patience with the process. And I'm not saying we've done anything wrong. I'm not saying we're walking in sin. I'm saying because culture has changed, we have a, a, a deeper struggle with patience and process than the ancients had. So it may come with a little bit of resistance for me to say that true hope revolves around an understanding of the heavenly perspective of time. Wait on the Lord means one thing to this present culture. It meant something else even 500 years ago. The idea of, of uh, waiting on the Lord. I don't want to become too ethereal or too mystical in what I'm about to say. But I thought about something the other day. So many things that the Lord has shown me. So many lessons he's spoken to me. So many remembrances that he has brought to my heart during times of prayer or dreams or visions. Um, so many of them happened at a place in Pensacola in front of my aunt's house on her street, in her yard. The strange thing is that I know those memories, I know those things did not happen there, but that's where I remember them. And I began to think about that, this number of things that are being brought to my memory and that place was getting more and more and more. And um, I, I asked the Lord to help me understand why do you remind me of things in this setting in front of my aunt's house when I know it didn't happen there. And my aunt's been in heaven for probably 30 years. Why, why Lord, what does it mean? And I thought back, I don't want to lose you here, but I thought back and growing up, that was the place in my little childish mind, that was the place where past, present, and the future kind of merged into a, a reality. Let me explain to you what I meant. Um, we had our neighborhood, my other relatives had their neighborhoods, but this aunt she lived in a section of town that was a weird conglomeration. It was, it was a good neighborhood, but it was a mixture of, of fairly modern housing and, and old houses. You could look at, you know, across the street and everything was modern. You look back at my aunt's house and there was a big chicken house. There was a, a, a big garden, bigger than most lots, um, that... I would go walk through and I was just amazed by the process of all that she grew. And I realized that I could walk two blocks in either direction or three of the four directions from her house. And I could be right in the middle of modern technology and a modern highway, but I could walk in another direction and it was like going back in time. Uh, her own street was paved 
but it was mostly covered with sand. It was, it was, um, it, it was weird. It was like everything was blended together, the past and the present. And every once in a while, it would speak to me about the future. I don't want to bore you with the details. But I realized that the reason the Lord shows me so many things in the context of my aunt's house and street is that in my world as a child, I knew that within walking distance, I could incorporate past, present, and probably the future. And I think that that's what hope does. Hope incorporates the past, hope incorporates the present, and hope always points to a future. Now, I'm not trying to be too mystic when I talk about that, but faith is something that we plow plow and plant seed for. Hope, or excuse me, I meant to say hope. Hope is always about our destination. Hope doesn't focus on where we've been. Now, that's part of it. Hope doesn't focus on where we are. That's a little more a part of it. But hope's focus is on the future. Hope is the idea of a seed that is planted with the expectation that a crop will be produced. We said that hope way back in lesson one, hope was a confident expectation. Hope was an assurance, not I hope so, maybe it'll work out, maybe it won't. But hope was a confident expectation that put all of its eggs in one basket, so to speak. Uh, Hope was an expectation that said, I don't know how, I don't know when, I may not know the method or I may not know the chronology, but what God has promised, he will perform. Uh, That's why the return of Christ is referred to as the blessed hope. It doesn't mean we hope he'll come back. We know he's coming back, but it's surrounded in mystery. Jesus said to the disciples, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons. He says, your job is to, is to build the kingdom. And, and hope says, I may not know how, I may not know when, but God will bring it to pass. Um, the, the whole process of salvation is called the hope of salvation And I want to tell you the good news is we don't have to hope that we're saved. We can know that we're saved. It is a hope, a scriptural hope, which means I don't understand all that's going to transpire. I don't know how all that is going to have to happen has to happen, will happen. But I know this, he who began a good work will be faithful to bring it to completion. I led someone to the Lord a few years ago and she was such a, a sweet lady, a precious lady, had been a neighbor of, of ours for years. And when I talked to her about, she had a terminal illness, and I talked to her about knowing that she was going to go to heaven. She said, I've been a church member all my life, but nobody ever told me I can know that I'm going to heaven. I was told that I hoped that I would go to heaven because the Bible calls it the blessed hope. And I said, that's not what the word hope in scripture means. It's not... Uh, I hope so. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. I said it is a confident expectation, a confident expectation that what God has promised will come to pass, even though we might not understand all the dynamics of timing, uh, 
or we might not understand all the dynamics of methodology. But we plant our seed knowing that a harvest is coming. What are the fields that we sow into? Um, and, and as I said, there are, there are four of them, and I want to present them to you uh, as quickly as I can tonight. Number one, you see on your notes there, we sow into our own lives. That is, hope has to do with what I will become. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Paul says, I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep everything. And that word keep means to guard, to bring to maturity, to bring to fruition. He's able to keep everything that I commit to him against that day. So when I come to Jesus, I'm investing in my own life knowing that a process begins to say, this is what I become. This is what I become. And it's revolved around uh, three words. The first is know, the second word is grow, and the th third word is so. These are just words, we just kind of a memory device to help you remember. Um, or you could use the words relationship or discipleship or investment. It's called sanctification. I invest my hope knowing that I'm not what I'm going to be. I'm not near what I'm going to be. But praise God, I'm not what I used to be either. There's a work going on in my life and the scripture calls it sanctification. We've talked about this so much. When I became a Christian, I was saved from the penalty of sin. I know that my destination when I gave my heart to Jesus, became heaven, not hell. I also am looking to a day when I will be saved from the presence of sin and the possibility of sin. It's when we go to heaven and when we are like him. But right now I am in this process, this process. Remember what we said last week? Process, process, process. I am in this process where I know I've been saved from the power of sin or, or the uh, penalty of sin. And I know I will be saved from the presence of sin. So what's going on right now? I am being delivered from the power of sin. I'm learning that sin shall not rule in my mortal body. And it begins by me knowing the Lord. I come to know him. And the scripture says that my relationship changes. I'm no longer a sinner, but I'm now a child of God. I'm no longer an enemy of God. Now I am a friend of God. My relationship has changed. And it's such a dramatic change that Jesus explained to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus said, how can I enter my mother's womb and be born a second time. And Jesus said, it's not about a second birth naturally. It's about a birth spiritually. It's not about turning over a new leaf. It's receiving a new life. So it has to do with relationship. Step number one, as I sow into my life, I come to know the Lord. Uh, and when I come to know him, his spirit takes up residence in me and he begins to affect something in my life. It, it happens immediately, even though we don't understand what's going on. I not only know him, but now I begin to grow in him. That's called discipleship. And I know that sometimes the, the, the progress seems awfully slow. 
we have an illustration of it in the Old Testament where Israel went into the promised land. The land was theirs. And when they crossed the Jordan, they began their inheritance. But it was an inheritance that was won a battle at a time, a city at a time, a, a region at a time. And Israel took the land with three major military campaigns. That's the way it is when we grow. It's city by city. It's stronghold by stronghold. It's victory by victory. We ought to be more like Jesus tonight than we were a year ago. And, and by faith, we will be more like Jesus a year from now than we are right now. Because God promised, not only can you know me, but then you will grow in me. That's this thing called discipleship. The third word is the word sow. Um, so we sow into our own lives. I am becoming more like Jesus by knowing him, by growing up in him. And then the third thing is by sowing into the lives of others. I, I not only know Jesus and I'm not only becoming more like Jesus, but I invest my life into others. I invest my life into the kingdom. My life is being lived. And, and if I live my life right on that day of judgment for where I receive my reward, I will either have invested and produced gold and silver and precious metals or if I live selfishly, I'll still be saved, but my life will only present wood, hay, and stubble that will easily be burned up in the time of judgment. So I sow into my own life. Number two, I sow into my family. This is where I determine what culture I will be a part of. Now, sowing into my life determines what I will become. And the family that I sow into determines what culture I will be a part of. This is another thing that the ancients seem to latch onto better than many of us in Western civilization latch onto today. Culture, um, family was a very critical thing, very critical thing. Um, God valued the identity of family and, and your legacy so much that he went to great lengths to ensure that if someone died early, their name was preserved. He, he said, if, if you lose your land, that's part of your heritage. Every 50th year in the year of Jubilee, it goes back to the original owner. God said, the culture you produce, your family, is very important. And that's why it was monumental when the man of God said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the idea of house uh, is the word okas. Um, it speaks of my family members. It speaks of my dwelling place. It speaks of my realm of influence. It speaks of my legacy. My house, the culture that I live. That's why Paul said that we could walk in this victory. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So into your family. Um, I... I remember reading the biography of David and there's just a sentence that just stands off the page to me. It says the house of David increased while the house of Saul decreased. And there was war between those two houses. And loved ones, we are in a battle to determine what we will invest 
and what legacy we will leave. So as I'm living in hope, looking for a future that is a preferred destiny, as I look to the future, I make investments in my life so that I will be what God is pleased with. He said, I know the plans I have for you and they're not plans to hurt you. They're plans to prosper you. And I, I want to cooperate with that. I also want my family. I want our family to be a house of hope. Thirdly, we sow into our nation. Now, at this point, it begins to be a little more abstract. But God had, when you read the Old Testament, you understand that God has great plans for nations. Um, that doesn't mean that we need to be nationalistic uh, or prejudicial toward other nations. But we need to understand that every nation has a destiny and every nation has a purpose. And the more I can make my nation conform to the word of God, the more I am preparing the way for the kingdom of God. Now, I know we, we've got to be careful here and I don't have time to elaborate on this, but I've talked about it enough. I, I don't think a lot of elaboration is necessary. We need to be careful that we don't equate the kingdom of God with a national identity, a, a kingdom, you know, this country represents the kingdom of God. Now, Israel has a special relationship to the Lord, and that's one thing. But um, my, the kingdom of God is not equal to America. The kingdom of God is not equal to Canada or not equal to, you know, Argentina or whatever. But every nation can be a godly nation. This is what the wise man said. Sin, uh, or he said, righteousness exalts a nation, any nation. If they live right and do right, it they are exalted by living right. But sin is a reproach to any people. In other words, it doesn't matter if you're Israel or the United Kingdom or the United States or communist China. Sin hurts you righteousness exalts you. So that's why we lean into four things that we want to invest in our nation. We want to do everything we can by our living, by our voting, by our example, by our community service. We want to lean into righteousness. We want to be sure that ours is a nation of true justice. We want to pray that God will give us wise leadership in, in our executive branch of government, in the judicial branch of government, give us wise judges, godly judges, and in the legislative branch of government. We want there to be from our congressmen, uh, uh, senators, to our governors, to our local authorities, to the president of the United States and his um, entire branch of government. We want to pray for wisdom. We want to pray that God will help them to make right decisions. Sometimes I hear Christians say, well, I'm not gonna pray for that man or that woman. I don't believe in them. But you've gotta understand, when we pray for our leaders, he told us to, in the New Testament, he told the early believers, uh, honor the king. Uh, to, to pray for those that are in authority over you. And it was very significant that Paul said, uh, honor the king and pray for those who are in authority because they would be the very ones that took his life. But he understood the power of praying. To pray for a leader does not mean that you buy into their agenda. 
but you pray that they will have wisdom to know the right thing to do. So we pray for our leadership, even those that we didn't vote for or those that we don't support politically. And we pray to become a light to the nations. So, so what, are, what are we getting here? We're saying that hope is what gives us the promise of a preferred future. I must invest into my own life and have the disciplines of the Lord in my own life. I must invest in my family. I want to understand that my greatest responsibility other than myself serving the Lord is to make it easy for my family to serve the Lord. And then things start getting out of my control. I can't control a nation, but I can be salt and light in the nation. And that leads us to the fourth thing that I'd like to talk about today. We sow into our church. That's the way we live in community to host the presence of God. Now there's the, the local church and there is the worldwide church. We are a part of a worldwide fellowship and we thank God for that. But our emphasis and, and those that emphasize the kingdom, we need to be sure that we get this balance. We are part of the great worldwide church. But a lot of times I see Christians that want to buy into the worldwide church because you can, you can endorse and you can embrace a universal idea without getting your hands dirty. It's easy to say, oh yeah, I believe in the church. But people believe in it in a, in a concept, in a coming kingdom. But in the New Testament, they knew they were part of the universal church, but they also knew that they were part of a local church. The Apostle Paul to the church of Corinth. Paul to those who were in Ephesus. Paul to the believers in Thessalonica. They were believers in the broad sense of the word, but they also were committed to the local church. Um, that's why we believe so strongly if you're going to serve the Lord here at Christian Life, you need to go through the door of church membership or partners in ministry. Uh, it's, it's not that we're trying to, to claim exclusivity, but we're trying to say if you're going to serve the Lord uh, for his kingdom purposes, you need to be committed to a local church. I believe that so strongly. I know of people that their, their pride and joy is that they're not bound to any group. And I can tell you, generally speaking, I know I'm speaking in very broad strokes of the brush, but generally speaking, they're of very little value anywhere because they're not committed to a body and it's in the body that they, they function. A lot of times people say, well, I'm just kind of on assignment from the Lord. I just go from church to church. I know there are people that that may be true of. I'm not here to say it doesn't happen, but I'm here to say it rarely happens with anything positive resulting from it. So I, I, and I'm not trying to be belligerent with that, but I'm saying that we need to find a church where the Lord has assigned us and we need to put our roots down deep. I want to tell you that the church, your home, your nation, and your life is the place where past, present, and future merge into hope. Now I want to pray for you to end this series and to end this tonight. 
Um, I want us to become people of hope. I want us to be a house of hope. And that means uh, we are committed to an end product that the Lord has declared. His kingdom is coming. His will is going to be done on earth just as it is in heaven. And what we want to do is be found faithfully serving in the place in which he has placed us. Father, uh, thank you tonight for helping us maybe kind of put some bookends on this thing called hope. Uh, I want to pray, first of all, if there's anyone here in the sanctuary tonight, or maybe someone's watching this online later, or maybe in the Thursday seniors meeting, Lord, if there's anyone anywhere that does not know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of their life, I pray that they would understand the great, incredible gift of God, the privilege of being born again, the privilege of walking from death into life. You said that if we would acknowledge our sins and that if we would accept your death on the cross as the ultimate payment for our sins and claim you as our Lord that we could pass from death to life. If there's anyone here tonight, Lord, that has not done that, I pray for the working of the Holy Spirit to spring up in their heart and move them to a place of faith and confidence in you right now so that they may know that they've been born again. Those that are watching, uh, Lord, if you're stirring their heart, we ask that you would give them the, the boldness to call a friend who is a Christian or to call the church and to open their hearts to the church. And I don't know if it's on the screen, but the, the church number is 803-798-4488. And call and say, I was watching this lesson on hope and I've called to give my life to Jesus. And Lord, we would love to walk them through that very simple yet profound process of becoming a child of God. Lord, I pray that everyone here that is struggling with infirmity, everyone that has a broken relationship, Lord, whether it's a broken bone or a broken heart, I pray that the Holy Spirit of hope would bring the balm of Gilead, as the prophet said, the healing touch of the Lord upon our lives and give us everything we need to walk in recovery, to walk in holiness, and to walk embracing hope, knowing that he who began a good work will be faithful to bring it to maturity. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight as we wrapped up our study of hope. God bless you.